Welcome home. Before we get started, first of all, shout out, big round of applause for our students. Listen, students, the Bible doesn't say that you will be one day great in the kingdom of God. The Bible says right now you are world changers, darkness disruptors, the hands and feet, the people of God. And so we want to empower you and equip you to be all that God has for you right now. And so if you're a parent of a student, it's our joy, our goal, our mission to partner with you in the equipping, transforming, and releasing of one of the greatest generations of world changers we've ever known. Amen? So we are part of that. You are part of that. One of the reasons why we have our students up here regularly leading is because we don't want them to think, well, the student ministry, well, that's my church. But no, the church in Nolensville is their church, and they are a part of this church. And then they're going to be sent out in the next coming years to make a difference wherever they go. So I want you to know that. If you're not a part of our student ministry team, get connected. Let's partner together. That's one. Two, the, the vision night coming up next Sunday night, I'm so pumped about. You all need to plan on being here. Like Megan said, maybe you don't live in those areas, but you're a part of this church. And our vision is to saturate our reach with the gospel and then extend our reach with the gospel. And so you need to know how to pray. You, you might feel called to not only pray, you might feel called, man, I may step out for a month, three months, six months, and, and invest there and then come back. But you at least need to know what's happening. And definitely if you live in those areas, you need to be like on the ground floor of the potential new works that God may start. So I'm pumped about what God's doing. If you're excited, say amen. amen. All right. Any of you, show of hands, ever watch any of the documentaries that ESPN have produced called 30 for 30? Yeah, many of us have. If you haven't, they're documentaries that share the life of significant athletes across different sports and genres of competition. And it kind of details their life and what it took for them to get there and the impact on the sport that they made. And one of the things that I always walk away with when I watch them is the tenacious self-discipline that they absolutely possess. And they work tirelessly for years and years for just a few moments or seconds of, of payout. You watch them, and when it comes to their diet, like they measure their food. They have a scale in their kitchen. This is how much protein, carbs, fat, fruit. Can I be honest? I don't measure my fruit. <laughs> it's a win if I get enough blueberries in. That's healthy. It's a win. Amen? But they're committed. They they, they have their diet down to a science. I want it to hit my system. So at this moment, in the workout, in the competition, maximum power, maximum strength. And then on the recovery process, I know exactly what to do so I can be ready to go again tomorrow. And they push their bodies to the brink so that with 10 seconds left in the, the final lap, the fourth quarter, they have more to give than anyone else. I love sports. I was, I was an athlete for many years. My wife was a highly competitive athlete. Each of my kids has a sport or a discipline that they pour into. They have a craft that they hone. But with any sport, 
ultimately, when it's done, whatever you win, whatever the goal is, it's, it's perishable, right? I'll give you an example. There was an ESPN episode that, that documented the life of this incredible tailback, running back named Marcus Dupree. Y'all remember him? He was a beast of a running back from Mississippi. He was a man among boys. And when we got to the University of Oklahoma, he was so good as a freshman. The coaches were like, I don't even really know what to do with him. He's definitely going to be an All-American. He's probably a first-round pick in the NFL draft. But in the end, if you watch it, like he blows his knee out. And in the documentary, like they follow him back to the home he grew up in. And the camera comes in the door, and it goes in, and his house is filled with trophies. Newspaper articles, he's on the cover, and he's just sitting there. And, like, you can feel it, like blood, sweat, tears, hype. And in the moment, it had to be phenomenal. I can't imagine. I was never that good. That's not why I'm a preacher, by the way, but. I'm sure it was incredible winning all those trophies. But with all due respect to Marcus, do you, do you know what he is today? He's a documentary. There's another one. They interview Troy Aikman, which I could barely watch it because I hate the Cowboys, but I watched it. Three-time Super Bowl winning quarterback, blah, 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 whatever. But he talks about what it's like to retire after the game consuming you for most of your life and then it's gone. And then you're sort of left trying to figure out what life is all about when from most of his memory, he's like, all I've ever known is how to be a better athlete. And he points out, he's like, man, when your brain finally catches up, and you can read the coverage and the game slows down and you feel like you can excel, your body's gone and can't keep up. If that's not the book of Ecclesiastes, I don't know what is. Where Solomon says, when you finally figure out life, you're dead. God bless you. But that's what Aikman was saying. And there's another one, Tom Brady. One of the greatest to ever do it after he won his fourth Super Bowl, I think he has seven, after his fourth one, they interviewed him, and he says, you know, I thought there'd be more to it. I thought it would mean more. And so here's my question today. Here's my question. Are you consumed by or committing to everything else, and you have nothing left for what really matters? That's my question. Because discipline's great. And a lot of things in this life teach us tenacity and grit. Don't quit. That's good. But do you have discipline for won't matter, for what won't matter in eternity? Are you developing disciplines in your life for what not only matters now, but matters for eternity? That's our question. We're going to dig into that as we study the book of Leviticus today. So stand with me as we read out of the 19th chapter 
of the book of Leviticus. And I love seeing so many Bibles. I love you coming with the word, prepared to read the word. This is what changes and transforms lives, not my life. We stand on, build our lives on, anchor our lives on the word of God here. Amen? Amen. Leviticus 19. The Lord spoke to Moses, verse 1. Speak to the entire Israelite community and tell them, be holy, it's a command, be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. We serve a holy, transcendent other God, distinct, set apart. And he calls his people to commit to a life of being transformed into his image. That's what matters now and for all of eternity. So, Lord, as your people called set apart, would we pursue holiness because you, our Lord, are holy in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Okay. If you're brand new, this year our church, our people are reading through the Bible chronologically this year. That's our goal. And we're preaching through the Bible chronologically. It's a big goal. But we want to see the big idea, the themes of Scripture, and go from beginning to end through the Bible. And so we find ourselves this past week reading and today preaching through the book of Leviticus. And most people say that's where Bible reading plans go to die. Amen? But it's important, it's foundational in our lives and in the lives of God's people. Because remember where it's strategically placed in the formation of God's people. The last two weeks we read and preached through Exodus where God's people were in Egypt. They were captive there for over 400 years and they cried out, God heard, and he freed them. And now they've been rescued out of Egypt from slavery, and they're free, and they're headed to the promised land. And major events happen. If you remember, they leave Egypt, and they get to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh and the Egyptians chase after them. But in a miraculous way, Moses' staff is stuck into the Red Sea, and it parts, and they cross on dry land. And then they go into the wilderness and they get to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And that's where Moses goes up and gets the Ten Commandments chiseled by the finger of God on tablets, brought back to the people. This is how God says we are to act. And then listen, another major event that's happened is now they have the tent of meeting or the tabernacle, if you've read about that. It's so significant because at this moment, for the first time, Time, God's presence is now literally with his people wherever they go. He abides with them. His presence in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant is, God is with his people. And as they're in the wilderness heading for the promised land, God's forming for himself a people. These people, the Jews, through whom the Messiah will one day be born. A group of people that are supposed to bless the world. A group of people that God says, you're going to be a city on a hill. But they've been in Egypt for 400 years in slavery. And their worship and knowledge and understanding of God, it's been distorted a little bit. In this polytheistic, pagan, pagan Egyptian culture. So Leviticus, it's got a big purpose. And it's to instruct God's people, this sinful yet redeemed and free people, 
How do you understand who God is? And then how do you live as his people? And there's this emphasis in the book of Leviticus on personal holiness in response to the holiness of God. And so I'm going to give you briefly, just teach for a minute, sort of an outline of the book. This will go fast. I want you to write this down. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Church, if we don't take notes, what do we do? Write it down. Write it down. So the first seven chapters, one through seven, is all about the different offerings and sacrifices that had to be made to cover or pay for sin. So when you're reading through your, the book of Leviticus, you're like, man, every page, every chapter, they're just killing stuff all the time. It's sacrifices that were made temporarily to cover their sin. Eight through ten, those chapters, is when God sets aside, he consecrates Aaron and his family as the priests. These are now the priests for his people. He's forming his people. It's brand new. These are the priests. And then 11 through 16, that's how to deal with various types of uncleanness, culminating, chapter 16, with the Day of Atonement, where one day a year, the priest would bring in one sacrifice on behalf of all the people and say, what happens to this sacrifice today should be happening to us. And they would shed the blood of that animal and they would be cleansed, covered for an entire year, foreshadowing Jesus, our great high priest and ultimate sacrifice, who was shed once and for all, not as a temporary covering that has to be done year after year or these little sacrifices done all the time, but as the final sacrifice, sacrificed once and for all. Jesus, Jesus is the point of Leviticus. It's, he's coming. He's coming. And then chapter 17 through 27, God gives these guidelines for his people. This is how you live practically in holiness. And so holiness is a big theme in the book of Leviticus because God demands holiness from his people because he's a holy God. And holiness has to be maintained before God, but holiness can only be obtained through the proper atonement and sacrifice and substitution. Something has to be sacrificed. Someone has to make atonement on behalf of the people. And as I said, it points to, makes us so glad, where we rejoice over the one who came, Jesus Christ, as the final sacrifice for all people who was given once and for all. And the holiness that was given to the people through the sacrifices, it was temporary. I'm temporarily covered by this sacrifice. But the holiness that Jesus gives and the covering that he provides is absolutely perfect and forever when we confess our sin and believe in him and we exchange our sin for his righteousness. So praise God, because of Jesus, we no longer have to daily, weekly, monthly, yearly provide sacrifices. And so the death of animals, it was a substitute for those who sinned, but in the same way, it's a picture of Jesus, who's the ultimate and final and better sacrifice. And so now, as God's people, we stand before a holy God without fear of judgment. We boldly approach the throne of grace. We get to enter into his presence. And as we'll see, we have the presence of God in us. But that doesn't mean that God stopped taking his holiness seriously. He does. And so should we. And there's a trend right now, honestly, in, in, in our postmodern church. And that's to create a God in our own image. 
And we want to give to that God attributes that we want him to have, that we value or we like, instead of the attributes that God's word says about himself. And God talks a lot about his utter holiness, his transcendent splendor. And he's teaching this to his people in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. This is who I am, and this is who I want you to be. So look back now. Look at the verse that we read, Leviticus 19, 1 and 2. The Lord spoke to Moses. Speak to the entire Israelite community. This is for everybody. He says, be holy, command, because why? Why? What's the motivation? I, the Lord your God, am holy. And a couple of weeks ago, when Moses encountered the burning bush, we talked a little bit about the holiness of God. Let me remind you of where we've been. This is foundational for the life of a believer to understand the holiness of God. And when you think about holiness, you, you can put two major aspects to it for God. Holiness. Number one, it means set apart, which is so good. God's not like us. He's different. He's set apart. Because did you know, maybe you don't know this, did you know every human relationship at some point will disappoint you? Did you know that? Guys, you can look at your wife right now and be like, not you, baby. He and not. He's not talking about you. Yes, I'm talking about her and you. Because every human relationship disappoints at some point. But God doesn't. Why? Because he's holy and he's set apart. And because he's holy and he's set apart, he's not the big guy upstairs. No, he dwells in unimaginable glory. The Bible says he's a consuming fire. No one looks upon him and lives. That's God. He's holy and he doesn't answer to us. He's not afraid of us. He doesn't sit on our board. He doesn't seek our counsel, if you remember. The Bible says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are God's ways above our ways. So our world, our lives are ruled, thrown down, not church pew up. He's God. He's set apart. It's good. Not only is he set apart, but he's sinless. He's without sin. He's righteous. He's perfect. And I know when I first heard that and thought about it, I was like, oh man, I don't know if I like that because I know my past and I know my story. And every one of you in this room have skeletons in your closet that you don't want anybody to know. And there's a point in every one of our lives where we wish I could hit the reset button because I can't believe I did that. And we don't have any sinlessness on our own. And Leviticus says, these are the sacrifices that you make to temporarily cover that. Blood covers that. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. This is what saves you, covers you temporarily. But it's pointing to the one Jesus, the perfect sinless one, who covers me not only now, but forever, because a holy God demands that. And throughout this, God is in the business of changing lives and stories and welcoming people into his family. And he's set apart And he's sinless. He's morally perfect. And if you remember, it's the best news you could ever hear about a God you worship and serve. I shared this quote with you. Remember this quote from Jackie Hill Perry. Listen, it says, quote, if God is holy, he's set apart, then he can't sin. And if God can't sin, 
then he can't sin against you. And if he can't sin against you, shouldn't that make him the most trustworthy being there is? End quote. So this holy, set-apart, sinless, perfect God will never act maliciously against you. And his demand, his call for us to be holy like he is holy is because that's what's best and good and leads to a life of thriving. The creator knows what leads to human flourishing. And God wants us to have set apart and holy lives as well. Be holy, God says, because I am holy. And I know what you're thinking. (laughs) How do I do that? Bless you. (laughs) God isn't just looking to bring a group of people out of slavery. He isn't looking to just save you from your sins. He's making people for his own possession, a family, a light to the world. And he calls us to holiness because he loves us. And, and this command wasn't given from the top of Mount Sinai where he etched the Ten Commandments on stone and Moses marched down the mountain and came with it. No, this was given from the tent of meeting, from the tabernacle, when God came to live among his people. Which means God, listen, God doesn't place requirements or commands on us where he doesn't dwell with us to empower us, to help us. Do you see it? He's with us. And if we are to live out this moment, be holy as I am holy, and there's two things that I want you to walk away with from today. This is how you do this. Number one, number one is that you abide, you abide in the gospel. Abide, remain, stay, don't leave. You're here. Abide. It's a big word. In the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And listen, if you're unfamiliar with the gospel, let me help you see a picture of what abiding really looks like. I've got a couple of things that can illustrate this for you here today. Number one, I have this bucket. What do you think this bucket represents? Yeah, I'm telling y'all, the 8 o'clock didn't get it. You got it. Yeah. You. This is you. And Apart from Jesus Christ, we are born sinful. There's sin in us. There's sin around us. We're separated from God, destined for the wrath of God. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing you can do to escape the wrath of God. You are in sin. Around it's, it, that's, that's who you are. But God saves you from that. God rescues you because of Jesus Christ. And he makes you his son or his daughter. But he doesn't leave you alone as his son or daughter. No, what he does is he takes his spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, and he puts it inside of you. And you become a new creation. And you become a new man or a new woman. And that, that should be enough. And if that was 
all that was true, we could say, praise God, the spirit of God is in me. I'm a new man, I'm a new woman, I'm a new student, new life, new power. That would be enough, but it doesn't stop there. Not only is Christ, the Holy Spirit, in us, the Bible would say Christ in you, the hope of glory, but look, the Bible also says that not only is the spirit of God in us, Christ in us, but we are also in Christ. Isn't that good? And when God sees you, he doesn't see you. He sees who? The perfect sacrifice that Leviticus foreshadowed. And then the Bible says the Holy Spirit seals us. And I'm not only in Christ, but the Spirit is in me and I'm sealed. I'm son, I'm daughter, I'm forgiven, I'm freed. I don't have to earn, I don't have to perform just get to be. And this, this should be enough. But, but the Bible says there, there's, there's more. Not, not only that, but, but the Bible would go on to say that, that Jesus holds us in his hand, but God the Father holds Jesus while he holds us. And so not only that, but God has sealed us in himself, in Christ, with the Spirit of God in us. Isn't that good? So you abide in the gospel, you abide in the fact that you are new, you are empowered, you are in Christ, and you are in God. This is what's true for me. This is what's true for you. This is the reality. And the reality is my sin, your sin, cost God his life. But Jesus said, no man takes it from me. I lay it down so that you can be empowered by my spirit, hidden in me, covered in God's protection, and then live the life that I called you to. And when you abide in the gospel, you avoid both pride and despair or shame. You avoid pride because you're not going, hey, look what I did. When anybody looks at my life, who should they see? That's right. Hey, it ain't me, it's God. And it isn't just God. It's who? Well, I mean, I see that good thing coming out of your life, man. That's not me. That's who? Because the Spirit is in me, and I am in Christ, and all of that is in God, and he is transforming me, and he is providing for me. So it's no pride. I didn't do this. God did it for me. So we don't boast in anything but the cross of Jesus Christ. But it's also so beautiful because this keeps me from shame and despair. How many times have you said to yourself, I'm never going to do that again. And then rolls around to the weekend. And what do you do? That again. And the enemy's whispering to you, man, you stink. I don't know if his blood was sufficient for you. I don't know if you're ever going to make it. You're this and you're that. And and, and then the despair makes you want to unpack the box. Man, I don't know if I really am in God, man. I don't know 
if I really am in Christ. I don't know if the Spirit has empowered me. So we abide in the gospel so that on our worst day, we go, no, 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 no. That may have been what I did, but it's not who I am. It's not who I am. This, this is who I am. On my worst day, I abide in the gospel. It's who I am. And on my best day, don't look at me. <laughs> this is who I am. On my best day. So we have to abide. We have to absolutely abide in the gospel. And not only do we abide in the gospel, but if we're abiding in the gospel, then transformation of our lives should be evident. Not perfect, but happening. And if transformation is happening, then if you're going to be holy as he is holy, what the Bible would call us to, then we have to begin to behave like who? Jesus. Not our neighbor, not the pastor, not someone who's our mentor. Although Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. But ultimately, our lives begin to look more and more like him. Because the word Christian literally means little Christ. So how do we do that? Well, some have said it's the spiritual disciplines. And if, you, if you're still beginning that journey, you should get Donald Whitney's book, Spiritual Disciplines. Man, it lays out like fasting, prayer, Sabbath, get all of it. Like it's phenomenal. Like if you haven't developed those habits and patterns in your life, you should and it can and will impact it. But those are evidences of holiness. But did you know you can go through every one of those and just be going through the motions and not be changed at all? Did you know that? You can read his word, you can pray, you can give, you can fast. And it means nothing. So yeah, they do produce transformation. But you could do all that and not be transformed. Following Jesus literally means going the way he goes. Following after him. Well, how do I know if I'm truly each day being holy as he is holy and following after Jesus, can I give you one very simple way to know? That's a question. Yes. Okay, good. You're going to get it either way. If you're following Jesus, if you're following Jesus, he will never lead you into sin. He doesn't do that. Jesus never says, hey, man, come over here and look at this. Come, come stare at this. He doesn't do that. Hey, come over here and let's me and you talk about this person that's not here right now. Hey, come over here and this is, let's just, let's put all of your resources this way. Hey, come over here and be concerned. He doesn't do that. Jesus invites you into life, freedom. In his way. Be holy as I am holy. Follow Jesus. Abide in the gospel. How am I following Jesus? If you're regularly being led into him, into sin, then it's not by him. When did we start being okay with believing that I can be a follower of Jesus 
and not follow him. There's more to being a follower of Jesus than going to church, saying church things, and doing church things. I'm not saying that if you end up in sin, you're not a believer because you're never going to be perfect. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is Jesus didn't take you there. And if we're going to be holy and we're going to follow him, then we have to be committed to following after him and rejecting the ways that aren't following after him. I don't want to normalize in the church that I can be a Jesus follower and never actually follow him. Being in this room doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. A decision to repent of sin and say yes to Jesus as my Savior makes me a Christian, a saved one. And all of this is true. Evidence of that, proof of that, is as I follow him and I walk after him. And the closer I get to him, the more I realize I've got a long way to go. The closer I get to him, my pride doesn't puff up, nor does my despair, but he begins to show me, hey, this is more of you that I want. Hey, this is less of this area that I want. And following after Jesus and behaving like Jesus is a lifestyle of, listen, picking up and putting down. Picking up and putting down. So, so many times in my life, I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to begin? Is there a new lifestyle? Is there a new discipline? Is there a new thing in my life? What do you want me to pick up? More of you, more of your attitude. What do I pick up? Pick up, pick up. Part of what you need to wrestle with today is what is the Lord asking you to pick up, begin, start? Maybe it is one of the spiritual disciplines, right? Like maybe it is. I want to grow, I want to be, I want to transform. Pick up. And for the rest of your life, okay, what am I picking up right now? But then also, put down. That's not the way of Jesus. That's not following Jesus. That doesn't look like Jesus. Putting it down. And we behave from Jesus, from the spirit inside of us, in Christ, in God. I behave from that, not for him. Do you see the difference? From Jesus, not for Jesus. I'm not earning, I'm not performing. It's because he's transformed and because I'm son, because I'm daughter. I want more of your presence. I want more of your anointing. I want more of your outpouring of your spirit. I want more of you. But church, don't think for a minute that habitual, ongoing, unrepentant sin can't or won't quench the power of God in your life. I didn't say it doesn't make you his son or daughter. It doesn't like sever the relationship. You didn't save you. Jesus saves you. He didn't lose anything he saves. But it disrupts the relationship. So I want more of you, more of you, more of you. God, I want to be I want to be all that you want me to be and do what you've called me to do. I want to abide in the gospel. I want to behave like you. And I love what Paul said in Galatians 5, 17. He said this, listen, for the flesh desires what is against the spirit. Do you hear that? And the spirit desires what is against the flesh. They are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. Paul gets the struggle. Paul said, man, I hate it when I don't do what I'm supposed to do, and I hate it when I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. And you're like, whoo, I'm so glad Paul gets me. Oh, 
Because that is an ongoing pattern in my life. I'm like, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, and I'm doing what I'm not supposed to do. Anybody else feel that way? Well, Paul doesn't stop there. You know what Paul said next? He said, I beat my body into submission. Because I long for more of Christ. I long for more of him. I want to model him. I want to follow him. I want to be transformed by him. And Leviticus was written to a group of people God wanted to transform. God wants to transform you. And in the Old Testament, they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. But now we do. And so this is the same truth in a new way with a new heart. Where Ezekiel said, I'm going to take out a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. I'm going to give you my spirit. And in the Old Testament, they, they had the laws and they had to follow it. It's kind of like, do y'all remember driving with, with real maps? Y'all remember that time? Like real, you know what I'm talking about? It got so advanced, you could print out MapQuest details. You remember what I'm talking about? Wait, don't wait, let me print out, print out the directions. You'd have this, okay, left, and it was, it was the most advanced time in society you could imagine. Printed out directions. Well, we were in Kentucky on Friday and Pigeon Forge area on Saturday for different kids' sporting events. I didn't print out directions. I told my phone where I wanted to go, and a map pulled up, and I could choose best route, easiest route, quickest route, avoid highway, scenic, whatever. I'm always like fastest, right? Just get me there. And I didn't have to read a map. Like a GPS took me where I wanted to go. As believers in Jesus Christ now, in God, in Christ, with the Spirit inside of us, we have everything that God has written, but now we have an internal GPS that keeps us abiding in the gospel. I'm not, I'm not in pride. I'm not in despair. But it also helps me behave like Jesus because the Holy Spirit of God is the one whispering to you, nah, not like that. No, over here. I've got more for you. I've got life for you. I've got this for you. I've got want this for you. So we listen to the Spirit of God inside of us. And God says, be holy so like I am holy. Because I want to use you. I want to pour out my spirit on you. I want to bless you. I want you to thrive. And that spirit of God takes us in that direction. Don't you want more of him? Don't you want more of the life that he has to offer? I do. I want that. I want that for you. Praise God that our holiness and our sinlessness was accomplished once and for all by Jesus Christ. I don't have to earn a thing. But because I have it, I want more of him. I want more of his life. I want to abide. I want to behave. I'm going to pick up. I'm going to put down. That's what I'm asking you to walk in this week. Stand with me as we get ready to close. Stand up, close your eyes, bow your head. Thank God for the gospel that you abide in. Could you just thank him? Just take him and say, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the gospel. Ask him to help you abide in it. To remain. 
praise him that once and for all, Jesus, the perfect spotless lamb's blood was shed for us. Praise him. As you think about behaving like Jesus, you're not performing, but you're working from, not for. And so ask him now, God, what do you want me to pick up? What do you want me to put down? What do you want me to pick up? What do you want me to put down? Spend time with him as we close.